Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, God's Masterpiece, a study of women in the Bible. If you've missed any part of this series, you can find it and many others online at SheridanHouse.org. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. As we start the study, I am so excited about it. It's just so apropos to where we are. But we're going to be in the book of Esther, and we're going to spend some time um, introducing what was going on and why we're studying this and so forth. But we're going to be in the first chapter of the book of Esther, way back in the Old Testament. And um, as I was thinking about that, and I said this to you all um, last spring as we closed out our last study together via video, that, um, you know, that, that we are, there's some huge blessings right now. One of the huge blessings is that we have the privilege of technology. We can't, we have, you know, a hundred women or more plus who are going to be doing, um, the video. We have many, many, many more women who are going to be doing the podcast. We have Zooming groups and all these kinds of things. And like I said last spring when we were ending up Philippians, can you imagine if Paul had had the privilege of Skyping and Zooming or texting or emailing his precious friends in Philippi, how that would have been life-changing for him, or if he had been able to do that with Timothy and Epaphroditus and all those kinds of things, and yet we have that privilege that we can still gather, and yes, challenging, and yes, the masks are hot, and we can hardly hear each other, but um, we still have some of the incredible blessings that we have technology and other things. Never, ever in our lives, I don't think, have we ever felt so out of control. Am I right about that? Even sometimes when we've got a hurricane that is bearing down on us and we feel like we're kind of at the mercy of nature or something like that, we still have never felt this out of control, I don't think. This has just been a season that we have never experienced at all. And this season, we're going to be studying about how we are indeed not in control of our lives. But here's the good news. There is one, with a capital O, who is in control of our lives. Not only is he in total control, he has a plan for us, like that song was so beautifully sung a few minutes ago. He has a plan for us, a purpose for us, a design for our lives, a divine design. Many of you um, are, are feeling that feeling, oh, whatever. But I want to I ask a question out there. You may not want to, you might want to just nod your head or maybe don't even want to raise your hand, but I want to know how many of you feel perfectly confident, brilliant, in complete control of your life with spectacular life impacting ideas? Anybody? Good. You're making me feel better because neither do I. None of us really do. I don't think so. But the good news is to us ordinary people, God delights in using every day. He, nothing uh, that, that we bring to the table, people that we are, God uses every day. It's a biblical principle that we see over and over again, not only Old Testament, but New Testament as well. Think about some of the people that God used in the Bible. David, wow, ends up being probably the most famous uh, king of Israel. And what was he? 
he was the least of the brothers. And when Samuel went to find the next king of Israel, they, the last person he would have thought of would have been David, the sheep shepherd. And yet look at what God did with them. How about the disciples? Fishermen, um, a, tax, a sinful tax collector, uh, all those kinds of things. And what we're going to do is gonna, we're going to have the joy of observing is how God uses ordinary women in the Old Testament to do extraordinary things. How he has a plan to use their lives is strategic for his cause. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame to the things that are mighty. And just yesterday, as I was doing my devotions, I turned and I could not believe this verse in here. James 2.5, listen, um, and beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world? And that's not talking about financially poor. That's talking about poor as far as the things that the world thinks are important. To be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Wow, that was my devotions yesterday. Is that perfect or what? That's exactly what we're going to be talking about. He has crafted us. He has formed us with a particular purpose and design in mind. We are his design, his divine design. One of the most uh, dramatic verses uh, in Ephesians says the same thing. In fact, it's our theme verse, and it's on the cover of your study book. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that an amazing thought? That um, we are uniquely formed and worked by the hand of God. We are God's workmanship. Now, the word workmanship comes from the Greek word that we get our word poem. Poem, the word poem. Literally, it means that which has been made a work or a making. The best translation is God's work of art. And the commentator F.F. Bruce, you may be familiar with that name, described us as God's works of art or his masterpiece, his masterpiece. Hence the title of our study. And not only have commentators taken that word of God's work of art, uh, one of the... Um, the um, versions of the Bible, the New Living Translation, has used that word masterpiece, and you see that on the cover of your uh, workbook, study book. What a stunning truth, especially now as we're facing these unprecedented circumstances in our lives. What do you have for me, Lord? What do you want me to do in this mess? What, how are you gonna take this ordinary person and do something amazing during this time that is so challenging in our lives. And we don't want to get into that, oh, okay, I don't even feel like getting up this morning. It's just so challenging and so different and so strange. Instead, we need to get up fighting and say, okay, Lord, this is the day that you have made. I am going to rejoice and I'm going to do what you've called me to do today. So what do you have for me, ordinary woman that I am, to do? When we think about, especially as we think about these Old Testament characters that we're going to be talking about. A on your outline, we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. God is the creator and he brought everything into being. A beautiful passage that's so familiar to all of us. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the God 
the glory of God and the skies or the firmaments proclaim the work of his hands. With all of that creative genius from the tiniest, tiniest atoms and neutrons to the galaxies billions of light years away, God created. I, I think you remember a couple years ago I talked about um, uh, Francis Chan has a great book and in the back of it he describes some of the things that God has created and how he has created them. And I'll never forget, I think the one that gripped my heart more than anything else is that um, it, he talked about how caterpillars, why don't you think about a caterpillar, caterpillar crawling along uh, outside, he has 228 muscles in his head. Now, is that creative genius? I'm thinking so. Still, in spite of all the things that he has created, the, the galaxies and the stars and all the things, and a little caterpillar with 228 muscles in his head, all of that still, we are his masterpiece. That's what, what uh, uh, the, those verses said. Nature re, uh, radiates the glory of God. I, I just, I think one of the most fun things that I love to do when I go up to the mountains is to just sit, listen to the trees rustling, listen to the birds chirping, listen to the different calls of birds, and just watching nature, watching little chipmunks jump up around and, and squirrels and all those kinds of things. And I think watching the nature and the variety of what God has created is incredible. And I've often thought, and this is just, just not biblical or anything, but I've often thought, you know, as I've listened to little birds chirping, to each other and everything, I've often thought, you know what, I bet I know what they're saying. <laughs> they're saying, glory to God. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah, or whatever. And I, I just feel like even those chirping and even maybe the trees rustling are praising the Lord and his creativity. I don't know. It's not biblical, but I like that thought. What do you think? Yeah. Okay, we'll do it. But anyway... Um, I remember though, many times just marveling at his amazing workmanship and creativity through the variety. Yet all of that beauty is not his ultimate workmanship. St. Augustine, it's in your book, says, Men go abroad to wander at the height of mountains, at the waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the seashore, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. Isn't that good? I love that. Man is without doubt the climax of God's creation. Even the angels do not compare with mankind because according to scripture, they were not created in God's image. They are God's messengers and they are our helpers sometimes, but even in all their glory and all their beauty and all the shining whatever they are, um, they are still not um, as important and as glorious a creation as we are as man. As wondrous, wondrous as a human is, there is um, yet a more amazing masterpiece. And that workmanship is described in the verse that's at our, on the front of our cover. We are God's workmanship or masterpiece, and here it is, created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. Number one, 
created in, in Christ Jesus, we are God's new works of art. New works of art. New and more spectacular because through Jesus Christ, he made us alive in Christ, becoming new creatures. The old has gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, is far and away more spectacular because of the cost of Jesus coming to die for our sins so that we could become his creatures. God's most spectacular creation is man made alive and with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Jesus said when he was about to leave the earth just before uh, his crucifixion, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he further said, I will send a helper or a counselor to come to you and fill you and be a part of your life is basically what he was saying to them, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Wow. But whether we feel it or not, we need to understand that when we are in Christ, we are the ultimate workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art. These masterpieces were designed, the rest of the verse said, number two, we were created for what? For good works, for good works. Each of us has an eternally designed job to do. Let me say that again. Each of us has an eternally designed job to do. He has so designed a job for you that has, and he has also provided a gift with which to do it. Our spiritual gifts have been given us to help us, to equip us to do the jobs that we have to do. First Corinthians 12 talks about that. Romans 12 talks about that. He has provided the opportunity and the specific task. And the more you are involved in a specifically designed task, the more you will be your true self and more fulfilled and satisfied you will be. I remember a friend of mine recently said, oh my goodness, Rosemary, you, it must just take hours for you to study this stuff and to put together the, the study book. And it, it must be just grueling. And I said, you know what? <laughs> that is God's divine design for me. That's the job he has given me to do. So guess what? Because that is my job, it's fulfilling. It's joyful. I mean, Bob and I can't wait to get up to the mountains and study and get out our Bibles and all that kind of thing because that is our divine design. When we discover what it is that God has for us to do, then it takes on, first of all, because we have the Holy Spirit helping us to do what he has designed for us to do, but it becomes joyful. I mean, not that it's easy, always, but it's something that we joyfully do because it's, we know, we sense, and we, we find fulfillment in doing what God has created for us to do. That's true for every one of us. When we are about what God has designed us to do, the verse goes on to say, number three on your outline, we were created for good works, which he prepared beforehand. Isn't that an incredible thought? That before you and I were even born, God had a divine design for each one of us. He had something for us to do. He had something for us to do for the kingdom's sake, even before we were born. I, I just think that's a, a mind-boggling fact, that he said, Nicole, in, let's see, 1995, you will be born. Exactly. I, am I got the right, right year? Yeah. 
And what, what I'm going to do with you is this. And before she was, before 1995, God had a plan. And he had that plan from the beginning of time that he had something very specific for her to do. Wow, that's incredible to me. And we need to wrap our minds around that as followers of Jesus. B, we are sculpted by the potter. Isaiah 64, 8 tells us, we are clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. That's one of our theme verses. We'll probably hear that over and over again, week by week, as we think about how God has created us as masterpieces, that we're clay and he's the potter. Number one, we were uniquely formed. God formed us, the verse says. You know, we know from um, science that we all have a unique fingerprint. And I think that is astonishing because when you look at your fingerprint, they're just a few. I mean, they're not like hundreds of lines or anything. They're just, you know, a few in there. And yet every single one of our fingerprints are different from the other one. Not only that, we each have a unique DNA design. That we know from science. So when you think about the multiplied millions of people that over the years have been born into this world and that we are that unique, it, it helps us to understand how the potter has uniquely formed us. He has knit us together in our mother's womb. Psalm 139, 13 tells us we are uniquely formed because, three, we are part of his design destiny, his divine destiny. One of our favorite verses, and you know, if somebody, if you, somebody asked you what's your favorite verse, many of you would say uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Many people love that. That is one of their favorite psalms. He has a plan. He's in control. Plans that give us a hope and a future. We are part of his divine design, his divine destiny. A few years ago, I lost a friend to cancer. And I remember at her memorial service, um, her husband stood up and he said, you know, the legacy that my wife left was that she taught and trained her children and grandchildren about Jesus. And I thought, you know, that, and she had other legacies she left too, believe me. But I thought, you know, what a, an amazing thing to be said about you, that you um, populated heaven with the people in your life that are closest to you. And I just thought that was such an amazing comment about this friend of mine. We all are uniquely formed and worked by the hand of the potter. He makes to become his masterpieces, not for ourselves, but to be used by him. His plans, his design, his masterpiece, his uh, destiny. Amazing truth that we're going to be studying is that, number three, with God, ordinary people become extraordinary. Isn't that wonderful news? Because I feel pretty ordinary most of the time, don't you? In fact, I would probably say maybe all the time. But anyway, none of us is amazing until God gets a hold of us. A few years back, um, Bob had a, a pastor friend of his call him, and he said, you know, they're having a meeting at the White House. 
And he said, my um, executive pastor can't go. And I just thought, I wondered if you would be interested in going with me to the White House. They're having a lot of you know, leaders from around the country, Christian leaders from around the country there. And Bob said, I'm there, I'm going. And so he got to this, this meeting at the White House and he was like, oh my goodness, I think that's John MacArthur. Oh my goodness, I think that's Tom Keller, or Tim Keller. Oh my goodness. And he was just wowed by the fact that he was in this room with all these luminaries you know, from the Christian community. And then as he went up to talk to some of them, he went, oh my goodness, they are so ordinary and every day. And yet God has chosen in his sovereignty in his divine design, in his masterpiece, to use them mightily. We are all ordinary people. We may hold up people in high respect and regard, but we're all ordinary. We're all ordinary, yet. but when God gets a hold of us, wow. We can be wows for him, can't we? Wow. John Eldridge said, we were created to reflect God's glory, born to be his image, and he ransomed us to reflect that glory again. Your heart bears a glory, and your glory is, in, is needed now. Psalm 16.3 says, As for the saints who are in the land, they are glorious ones in whom is all my delight. All my delight. As we struggle to understand that perspective, it's not a natural uh, idea for us uh, or a focus for us as women. In this study, we're going to explore the lives of ordinary women like you and me. At first, when we think about Esther, which we're going to be studying first, we may think, oh, Queen Esther. But when we find out how ordinary she was and some of the feelings that she had and some of the feelings of inadequacy, it will be such a, a, an amazing study for us. Biblical characters that lived thousands of years ago, yet having issues and struggles just as we have in our lives. My prayer for us as we journey through these lives of these individuals is that we will better understand our unique design as we discover God's destiny in our lives, particularly in these catastrophic times that we're in right now. Wow. So first character we're going to study, Esther, a woman for such a time as this. And we, as we begin, the first question we want to ask is this. Why are we studying about ancient, an ancient woman? What, why, goodness sake, she lived thousands and thousands of years ago. Why are we studying, A, why are we studying ancient women? Why look at a woman who lived so many years ago whose life is so incredibly different from ours? Number one, God's values never change. Let me say that again. God's values never change. Wow. What was truth for Esther? What was truth for Ruth? What was truth for any of the women in the Old Testament or men in the Old Testament is true today. What he values then, he values now. There is so much confusion about that today. What is important, especially I think as, as women, we can become so enculturated, can't we? can just watch a couple commercials and a couple, you know, uh, social media things, and, and we think, hmm, wow, is that true? And we can gradually let the culture seep into our perspectives of life, and we need to be so guarded about that. A study like this helps us to remember that God's values always remain the same, which brings us to the next point. Number two, she's a great role model. Why are we studying Esther? 
great role model. Yes, she lived thousands of years ago, but how helpful to look into this lady's life and learn by how she approached things. Jesus, of course, is our, our ultimate role model, but how wonderful that God gave us his word and people in his word so that we can that we have in front of us that we can read about and say, oh, wow, I, I see she struggled here. That's kind of how I struggle. And wow, look at how she was successful. And look at how she beat that. How did she fight that in her life? And it's so wonderful that we have role models scripturally. And what I love about God's word is he just doesn't say, wow, look at this person. I want you to have, have this person as a role model. He also shows us their humanity. He also shows us their struggles. We, we also see all of his greats, even Paul, who sometimes seems almost intimidating, doesn't he? I mean, he just seems to have it so together, especially after studying Philippians. Um, he just seemed to have it so together. And, and yet he had his areas that he struggled with. And I love the fact that God gives us all of those things about, uh, about the people and the word of God. Um, and what better way to be trained by somebody, to be mentored by somebody, than somebody that God has placed in his, world, in his word? What made her tick? How did she deal with her circumstances? How did she deal with her pandemic? And we think we've got struggles? Oh, my goodness. When we start looking at some of these women in the Old Testament, we're going to be amazed at some of the things that they went through that how they learned, how they stood up to be warriors for Christ and for God. Um, it will be amazing to see how she was so uh, usable to God. Another reason to study about ancient women, three, we are also in a pivotal time of history. Don't you think so? A pivotal time of history. God chose her out of the masses for that moment in history that we're going to be learning about. Don't you sense that we're also an important point of history? I mean, not only do we have all our challenges, the pandemic and, you know, social distancing and masks and all the things we're doing, and then we start coming to Bible study tonight, and guess what happens? Torrential downpour. I mean, that's astonishing. It's like everything is fighting against the things that we stand for that are significant and important in our life the godly things in our lives, politically, internationally, with churches, so much going on, natural disasters for goodness sake. Events are moving at an amazing pace and God's spirit is moving as well. His spirit is moving as well. And I don't want to miss being a part of what God is doing at this critical time in history. So I commend you for being a part of this study. Commend you for that. I don't want to miss doing what God has. I'll never forget, and I, you've heard me say this a thousand times, but I'll never forget, it was just impacting to me. I heard Beth Moore say one time, you know, God could have had us alive at any particular time in history, and yet he has chosen us to be believers alive today. I so believe that. And not only that, he has chosen us to not only be alive today in this madness, <laughs> but he has also chosen us to be here. And so I think it is so important as we're looking at the studies, we're looking at these women throughout the year, that, um, that we want to see what it is that God has for each of us here and now, at this time, in this place. Just as we see Esther in a few chapters realizing 
that this was her such a time as this and taking a long look at what was important to her. Oswald Chambers said this, the destined end of man is not happiness, health, but holiness. Let me say that again. <laughs> the destined end of man is not happiness, not health, but holiness. His, God's, one aim is the production of saints. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He came to save men because he had created them to be holy. Wow, isn't that profound? I want to put that on my refrigerator, remind myself every day. He's not here to make everything wonderful in my life. I'm here to do his bidding. I'm here to do what he has called me to do. I need to step up and, and do what he has called me to do. My goal as a woman is not the end result of seeing the resolution of my circumstances so I can be happy and content, but that God can hone and shape me into being the woman he desires for me to be because of the often challenging circumstances in, in my life. That's what that, that song was saying to us. Take my woundedness, take my hurt, and hone and shape me into being your masterpiece, to be everything that you want me to be. As we study a woman so used by God, it will aid in the process of being all that God wants us to be. And lastly, we are studying the book of Esther because guess what, number four? It's just a great story. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. Uh, we're learning about how to become more holy and respond to life with the correct perspective. But we get to, to study that through a true life soap opera. Oh my goodness. It's got everything. Love, intrigue, suspense, drama, all of those things. It would make a great movie. In fact, talk to Pam afterwards. There is a great movie out right now. What was the name of that, Pam? Do you remember? One Night with the King? Check it out. True story. And I loved, I just saw a little clip that Pam sent me and it, it, the pageantry and the beauty and all that is very, very realistic. So if you get a chance to, I don't know if that's on Netflix or what, but if you get a chance, check it out. Anyway, uh, B, what is the theme of the book of Esther? What is the theme of the book of Esther? And I promise you by next week, we will actually be in the book, okay? But there's some background things that we have to talk about. Okay, the first interesting aspect of the book is that God's name is never mentioned. Isn't that interesting? His name is never mentioned. Not any pronouns, even veiled, is found in this book. Number one, why is God's name not mentioned? Well, it was a time in history, scholars believe that because it was a time in history when Israel had chosen to go her own way. During this time, some of the remnant had gone back to rebuild Israel. There were ones under the leadership of Ezra and member Nehemiah who went back to rebuild Jerusalem and there was a remnant of Jews that went with them and it's as if God was pleased with those who went back to build his capital city and it's almost like his presence went with them with that group of people that remnant they were being faithful to him obedient it's almost as if God's name and identification followed them back to Israel followed in obedience but number two in the book of Esther, his presence is unmistakable. 
We're going to see him in every page, in every paragraph, in every situation that happens. There is no doubt that even though he is not mentioned by name, he is going to be there. It's a, such an important truth that his presence is unmistakable. His presence is unmistakably seen throughout the pages of this true story. In every event and timing, testimony is given to the presence of God. It's as if he's standing in the wings of the stage, directing every event, cueing characters and orchestrating the drama to save his beloved, the wayward children. Romans 1.20 addresses that. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all things that have been made. In other words, his presence is seen in every aspect of nature and history, even if it's silent, even if it's silent. And that is the theme of Esther, the invisible providence of God. Let me say that again. The invisible providence of God is the theme of Esther. Number three, how does this relate to me, for goodness sake? How, what does that have to do with me? Don't we see that in our own lives? You know, sometimes God is very visible in our lives. You know, have you had those moments when you sit down in your devotions and you open a scripture that you're supposed to be reading and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I needed that today. I needed that now. And there are many times when God's presence is so um, clear in our lives. But guess what? Not always. There are moments when we sit down, we're struggling maybe, and we're going through a difficult time, and we say, oh, Lord, I just need something so badly from you. And maybe it's just a very quiet presence. Maybe it's not a dramatic example of something that God uh, is giving us. We don't always have burning bush experiences, do we? We don't always have a parting of the Red Sea or writing on the wall. Sometimes we do, but not always. Sometimes we're blessed, but most of the time we live in business as usual mode. Sometimes the scripture leaps out at us and we know it's a word from God, but not always. It's easy. It's sometimes it's easy to see God in the miraculous, but how about the mundane? How about the everyday? How about when we hear storms outside? Then is it, uh, do we see God in it? It's easy to see God in the miraculous, but how about the mundane? In everyday, not Mount Sinai thunderings. Neither did Esther, we will learn. In fact, again, that is one of the themes of the book. God is at work behind the scenes in our lives. His presence and providence shouts out at us from the pages of this true story. If he would do it for Esther, he will do it for us. The same principles apply to all of his beloved daughters. All of his beloved daughters. Number four, through the silence of God, we see many aspects of his character. Chuck Swindoll, in his book on Esther, points out that one of the great understandings we can gain from this study is the mysterious workings of God, even in his silence, even in his silence. Some of the characteristics that we'll see in the book of Esther are number A on your outline. First, the mind of God, 
the mind of God. We see his unsearchable ways. In our finite minds, we can only scratch the, the surface of the depth and breadth of his secrets. Isaiah 20, 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. You've got that verse in, in, in your book. B, the will of God. Again, we cannot touch the depths of why God moves the way he does. does. Why, Lord? Does a faithful saint have to go through difficult times, parenting issues or whatever it is when they've been faithful to your plan? Romans 11, Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. See, not only the will of God, the what was the first one? Mind of God, the will of God. And then thirdly, see the power of God. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, he asked Job. Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined the, me the measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or where its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Who, when the morning stars sang together? Where were you, God asked Job. This is my, my abilities here. Wow, the power of God. Even though we might not see, he is there. We see his sovereign control. What a great thing to remember when we sometimes feel helpless and fearful in the hands of people that we cannot control. You don't need to say them out loud, but, but there, there are people out there in your lives that feel that you can't, it's so hard to control. I love when he says to Abraham, he takes them outside. You remember that in Genesis? He takes them outside and he says, why don't you look in the stars, Abraham? Why don't you look at the thousands and millions of those stars and guess what that's how many children you're going to have and then he says and by the way who do you think put those stars into space and he's showing him not only that his promises are going to be good and true but he's showing him the power that he has to make those uh, predictions about his life come true not, not only the power, but D, the presence of God. I love, this is one of our favorite verses, Hebrews 13. I will never leave nor forsake you. So how can, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? We might not see him, but his invisible providence is still there. The word for providence in Latin is pro, before, video, I see, pro-video. God can pro-video. He can see the future perfectly. Even if my small scope of things seems messed up, <laughs> he is in control and he can see. I've used this illustration hundreds of times before, but Bob and I were racing to the airport one day, going up 595, trying to get there. And um, <clears throat> we got suddenly stuck in it, this huge traffic jam and we're just creeping along and Bob who's you know gets to the airport three hours before our plane takes off and everything's getting more and more nervous all the time and we're looking at it and the traffic and it just seemed like it's just going along going 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 finally we got to the airport finally we were you know only instead of three hours early we we're just two hours early but we got there and when we got on the airplane and we took off and we started going up 95 we saw the traffic jam all the way up, you know, 595, and then turning up north on, on 95. And then all of a sudden, about Oakland Park Boulevard, it stopped. And whew, it opened up, 
and traffic just flowed like there had been no traffic jam at all. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know what, Lord, that's kind of the way we are versus you. We get in those traffic jams of life, and we cannot see the ending. We can't even see the beginning. We can't see the ending, certainly. But you see it all. You see that there is a flow of traffic at the end of the traffic jam. You see everything from the beginning to the end. Wow, and that's what we're going to see in this book of, of Esther. In all aspects, God will clearly be demonstrated in the book of Esther. Um, a little history. Are you ready for this? Do not put your head down and go to sleep, okay? This is a history lesson. I'm going to just tell you a little bit. What is the setting, see, of the book of Esther? So important to understand um, a book to get the setting. Number one, where, when and where did it take place? First of all, it takes place in Persia. When Israel was conquered by the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, the Jews were brought into exile in this area. And then in 539 B.C., quiz next week, just kidding. Babylon was conquered by the Persian Empire. Under the famous Persian king Cyrus, a remnant of Jews um, went, returned to, to Jerusalem, as I mentioned earlier, and Mordecai's family in our story was not a part of that remnant that went back to rebuild. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell about the rebuilding of the temple by the remnant, and this took place under the Persian king Darius. Then 32 years later, after those events, Esther uh, it takes place in Persia under Darius's son, Xerxes, which is his Greek name, or Ahasuerus, who is what we're going to be talking about. Who are the principal characters of the story? Now, do you remember all the history lessons? You can tell me next week, right? Okay, good. What are the characters of the story? A. Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, the Persian king, his vast empire extended from India to Ethiopia, huge. And it was the, an absolute rule monarchy. The splendors of the kingdom were legendary. They were talked about around the globe. It was just an incredibly um, splendorful, is there such a word, uh, um, kingdom. B, Haman. Every time we say, do you know that Jews today, even today, they'll take off their shoe and beat the table when you say the name Haman, truly, when they talk about the story of Esther. He was the, the villain, the wicked anti-Semitic official of the court. And we're going to find out as we move on into this book why he was so anti-Semitic. We'll find out about that. He was very rich, very fit, powerful, and very self-serving, very self-promoting. Self Mordecai a God-fearing man, Jewish exile who had not returned to Jerusalem, but whom God uses mightily in the story. And then our hero, D. Esther. Her Jewish name was Hadassah, an orphaned foster child um, being raised by her cousin Mordecai. Her Persian name, Esther, means star. Do you love that? Star. Beautiful, beautiful. In summary, Matthew Henry said this, but although the name of God is not in it, in Esther, the finger of God is directing every minute event for the bringing about of his people's deliverance. Although God's name is not mentioned, he sees, we see his plan to protect and direct his people. His ways are infathomable, but invincible. But what we need to do is stop, 
and listen and look so that we don't miss his teaching. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm uh, 46.10 says, and you know what? Many of you, we have said to each other, you know, one of the things, the positives of going through this pandemic is not the COVID curves, but the fact that I, my life had to kind of slow down. And I've had some time, I've had, personally, I've had some time to clean out cabinets. Do you know I found a tea bag that was dated, um, used before 2007. <laughs> I think it was time to clean out the cabinets, don't you? But the things that we've been able to get accomplished that we don't normally have time to do, but to be quiet, be still, and know that, we are, that, that I am God, to take time to be quiet. For those who will still be still long enough to hear God, ordinary people like you and I or Esther and Mordecai, he has a divine design. God delights in using the most unlikely people. Are you being still? Am I being still? Are we listening? Are we listening to what God is saying during this incredibly unprecedented time in our history and in our lives? For previous lessons or other resources, please visit sharedinhouse.org or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.